Hello, the Digi Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. I have been trying to eliminate these announcements before the episodes, but I do have four really important pieces of information for you. I will try to be as quick as possible. So number one, our 20th anniversary celebration is being postponed. So if you registered for that event or you planned on joining us for the symposium or banquet, please make sure that you go online and get a refund. If you have an issue with that, let us know. Uh, And speaking of registration, our Young Adult Literacy Conference is going to be converted into an online conference. Uh, So if you registered for that, make sure you go on and get a full refund. Uh, There will still be a purchasing element to this conference, but we're still figuring it out. And there will be some live aspects to it, as well as some pre-recorded content. Again, just please be patient with us as we totally rebuild this whole conference due to the pandemic that's going on. Number three. Chris and I are doing a live parish mission next week, Monday through Wednesday. So that's April 20th, 21st, and 22nd, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central, those three days. And he's going to be presenting on the sacraments. And as a added bonus, if you tune in to those live events on our Liturgical Institute Facebook page, I will give you information on how to purchase his certificate course on the sacraments for just 25 bucks that will only be available during these live events so make sure you tune in for that and lastly i want to let you all know that we are planning to offer an online master's degree starting as early as this fall so if you are interested in getting a master's degree from the liturgical institute but doing all the coursework online then please let us know. You can shoot me an email at questions at liturgyguys.com. Just make sure you mention that you are interested in the online program, and I'll make sure to send you some information on that. So, without further ado, episode 30 of season 4 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, peace be with you guys. Peace out. And with your spirit. And also with your spirit. Spirit, etc. Yeah. I can see your faces online, which is kind of neat. You can only see my knee since my computer's under the desk. It's kind of like what we're going to talk about today, because we're going to talk about the kiss of peace. Something we're not doing right now, but nonetheless, it may come back. Uh, you know that, uh, that expression, uh, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a good one. For <laughs> Gotta love homonyms. <laughs> yeah, it's like K-N-O-W-N-O. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, right. you're right. So, there I guess a piece no irritates people, doesn't it, Chris, sometimes? Well, yes, it does. And it has calmed uh, down in the last decade or so, probably. There were times when Jesse was in diapers, like seven, eight years ago, when uh, people would take long 30-minute things going oh, around. That was when I was shaking, we were doing that in shaking, hugging, as, as if it's a moment for socializing. But the interesting thing about the, the sign of peace is that it's actually a right. Is that correct, Chris? Mm, you are right, Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Well, sure. Jesus with peace yeah. writes yeah. Oh, our Jesus. rights when they're done yeah. right. That's right. So That's we're going right. to talk about that today because when we get this back, we should do it right. Don't you think? Yeah, I think it's very well said. You know, when we were kicking this around, deciding if we should do this or not, we thought, do we really want to do that now when we don't even have the sign of peace? But like you said, Dennis, we thought, well, maybe we should take this. You know, it's kind of like all these things we're deprived of at the moment that hopefully when we get back to them, we'll enter into the rites and the mysteries with a little bit more meaning and understanding and do the right, right. So, yeah. So that's why we thought, eh, let's go ahead and try this uh, rite of peace. The ritual, the, you know, the basis for this is in, uh, well, actually in, in 2008, You'll remember this, of course. Uh, Pope uh, Benedict then uh, consulted the world's bishops about, hey, what do you guys think about keeping the sign of peace, moving the sign of peace? Because it's been in some different places. Right. So this is after a synod, right? And so he yeah, puts out the I... post-synodal exhortation, Sacramentum Caritatis. Uh, was it? Do yeah. you know that? Okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So we had uh, the year of the Eucharist that was called by John Paul II, and then he died in the midst of it. And then uh, in the meantime, Pope Benedict was uh, elected and he concluded the year of the Eucharist. And they had that synod. And you're right, in the, the post synodal apostolic exhortation was when, when he called for oh, this. And so they took this. Uh, AE right there. Nice. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> when, yeah, it's uh, probably actually, sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but it's probably worth talking about what that is, right? So sometimes people think, oh, yeah, synodal exhortation is just the Pope telling everybody what to do again, right? But this is actually not the case. He's saying, we got all these bishops. They came and they talked. They gave me their concerns around the world. And we had the synod and we talked about things. And I kind of pondered, prayed, assessed what everybody said. And now I'm saying, thanks to the input of the bishops around the world, this is what I'm recommending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what he ended up doing, uh, I guess, in Sacramentum Caritatis is he uh, they, they consulted the world's bishops about their mind on uh, the sign of peace, where it is, whether it should be changed, what needs to be done to it. Because, as you suggested, uh, Dennis, it, a lot of people didn't like it, didn't understand it. It seemed, you know as much of a distraction as anything meaningful. Right. And so when they got all the consultation back and I don't remember, you know, how it broke down, but in the end, whatever the votes tallied in at, uh, uh, the Holy father said, no, no, we're just, we're going to keep things as is, but what we're going to do is uh, we want to take this occasion to actually explain to people what the ritual exchange of peace is at mass and what it isn't, how it should be understood, how it should be practiced and how people can benefit from it. That's, the same, so that, Chris. that's the same process I used to name Agnes. We just put a survey out there, <laughs> asked people how they felt about it, and then we didn't listen to them and then just told them what we thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's important to say that before they decided we're not going to move the sign of peace, Pope Benedict said we're going to study the question about moving it somewhere mm-hmm. else, right, earlier yeah. in the Mass so that it wouldn't come right after the communion had been, uh, Eucharist had been yeah. confected, right? But then they decided yeah. probably too much interruption in people's liturgical expectations. And so they. Yeah. Said, yeah. Well, we're I'll, not moving I'll, it. we'll go through the, the history here in just a minute. Um, but but uh, yeah, I thought we should. Um, we, so in 2014, in 2014, the, the Holy See, the Congregation for Divine Worship wrote what they call a circular letter 
on the ritual expression of the gift of peace at mass. And that's really the basis for this uh, particular podcast, because they, what they do in that is they review the, the theology and the liturgical meaning of the assigned a piece. They give some recommendations. And then uh, our own uh, USCCB put together a little piece on the history of uh, the sign of peace, uh, kind of the various places where it's been in the mass. And I thought if we reviewed that, uh, this would help our understanding so that you know, when we get back to mass someday and the sign of peace begins, we'll have uh, we'll be able to to uh, celebrate it, I guess, uh, in a more meaningful way. That's good. Okay, that's good. Tell us about it. All right. First of all, uh, this is a biblical idea, right? It's not just a weird rite that somebody made up, right? All through scripture, this make peace with your brother before you receive the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. A couple of places, I think three or four places in scripture. Yeah, I think in, in uh, looks like especially in St. Paul's letter, he talks about greeting one another with a with a holy kiss okay, with a kiss of peace. But I suppose the place uh, that the circular letter starts is uh, similarly biblical, but it's uh, uh, out of the mouth of Christ. And so what what he says, what Jesus says is uh, in uh, at the at the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And then after the uh, resurrection, when he appears uh, to the uh, apostles in the upper room, he says it again, peace be with you. And so it's biblical, but not only from St. Paul is that this notion of bestowing peace of, of Christ comes from Christ himself. So it's not simply biblical, it's, it's Christological mm-hmm. uh, as well. And so that's not something that should be you know, dismissed uh, lightly. But what... Um, and, and how, you, how you see this in the Mass is similarly sacramentalized in its current place in the Mass. Again, we'll just state it now, then we'll get back behind it. But um, so think about what's happening now is that um, you say the Lord's Prayer. And after the Lord's Prayer, you have this thing called the embolism, which is this little part thrown in the middle where the priest says, deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days mm-hmm. right then there's this uh, exchange of, of, of peace and then right after the sign of peace what comes what happens next the elevation and reception of communion right not yet not yet not yet oh. you got the lamb of god lord i am not worthy that you should enter under my roof no 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 the lamb of god the lamb of god oh. and the very last uh part of the lamb of god is grant us peace, peace. Ah. right and so what what the, the circular letter is trying to point out is that in the life of Christ, you have this bestowal of peace before and after his Paschal mystery. Right? And in the Mass, what you have is this bestowal and exchange of the sign of peace surrounding the Paschal Christ upon the altar. Right, So it's doing in sacramental ritual and texts and placement what Jesus did in the flesh 2,000 years ago. And this is how, at least in the Roman tradition, according to this circular letter, how it explains uh, the sign of peace. It says the point of reference in the Roman rite is found in the Eucharistic contemplation of the Paschal mystery, right? And it's uh, they, they liken it to the Paschal kiss of the risen Christ. So just like the risen Christ shows up in the locked room to kind of bestow the, his peace, so too in the mass, you have the Paschal Christ upon the altar who is resurrected, bestowing his peace upon the people. And as we'll see, this is a little bit different interpretation 
uh, currently than uh, in some of the Eastern rites and in before. And in so, fact, when, when, you, when you read this, uh, just as another little aside, this business about uh, Eucharistic contemplation of the Paschal mystery and the Paschal kiss, the footnote to this in the circular letter is to the Council of Trent and the uh, extraordinary form Roman Missal. Uh, which had so, a kiss of peace, but just generally exactly. not extended to the lady, right? Exactly. It, it says somewhere in here that it's it was uh, restricted to the, uh, I think, to the solemn mass or the solemn high mass. But yeah, it exists, existed and does exist in the extraordinary form. But wait, 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 Chris, Chris. Yes. You mean this is deeper, more significant, more biblical, more Christological, more eschatological than putting two fingers out in a V at mass and saying peace to people <laughs> like four pews away? Or trying, to, or trying to grab your brother's hand and squeeze it as tightly as possible. Not saying that it's <laughs> a cold, sweaty, clammy hand of some stranger next to you. Right. You start yelling at your kids. Or, to, or the soft off. hand of the girl you like. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my spiritual director told me recently, and I heard it verified somewhere else since then, is that the word shalom, we usually say peace, which is a typical greeting. Um, doesn't just mean like, oh, you, you feel calm, like you took a holy Xanax or something, spiritual Xanax. <laughs> but it actually, its deep meaning means the integration of mind, body, spirit, right? So in our fallenness, our mind is warring against our body. In some degree, our body is warring against our mind, our soul. Everything's out of whack because we're fallen. And when those things are integrated, the result is peace. We're not at war with ourselves and God and others. And so the idea that Christ gives this peace in his resurrected Easter self is really a very, very deep notion about us being participants in the kingdom. Well, and I suppose even what you're just describing, uh, I mean, you're not just describing it as an individual, but think of the larger individual mystical body, the same sort of at peace within uh, the yeah. mystical body of Christ. That's the type of uh, notion this is trying to uh, to right. sacramentalize and ritualize. When Pius XII wrote his encyclical in the mystical body about World War Two, mm -hmm. and he called it a Christian civil war. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Christians killing Christians in Europe. So... Uh, yeah. Extends out. All right. Anyway, okay. those are important ideas, but you're the document man. Well, uh, I'll uh, let's see a shout out here to the uh, Bishop's Committee on Divine Worship uh, from the USCCB. So of which you are now a consultor. Ding, yes. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Okay. yes. I love ringing bells about your success. Chris. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the scrape in the bottom of the barrel, at least to this case, but whatever. Well, they have that as it may. I think it's the Nebraska Mafia is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, when this circular letter came out in 2014, the USCCB, their Committee on Divine Worship, supplemented that with a little bit of history. And uh, I know, Jesse, if you want to post that, but I sent you the the link to that uh, to their letter. And I'm just going to take some of yeah, these I'll, historical Post it in the link uh, the in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not pouring through, you know, Joseph Youngman here or anything like that to dig up this history. This, this is just a compilation of shorthand Lazy. notes. That Lazy. The, you <laughs> believe it, that the Bishop's Committee put together. So let, let's just uh, review with them a little bit of the history, right? So uh, we saw Jesus about uh, speak about uh, bestowing peace. And then we talked about St. Paul mentioning in a number of his letters uh, about greeting each other with a kiss of peace. And uh, it says here from the USCCB that uh, very early on, uh, uh, Tertullian, you remember Tertullian. Yeah. He was from uh, North Africa. And so there's some, there's some really, they're both in the, in the Western tradition, but the North African church and the Roman church did have some, some rather uh, unique differences. Is, is that a is that redundant? Anyway, 
So Tertullian dies in the year 220, one of the very first of the, uh, the Western fathers. And he considered this kiss of peace uh, a seal on prayer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so apparently even in early Rome, this seal upon prayer concluded the universal prayer, right? So the liturgy of the word, the first half of the mass, which you can go read in the catechism from St. Justin Martyr describing the mass way back in 150. And the, the structure is essentially the same is the, uh, the universal prayer is the very last part of the liturgy of the word. And as soon as that's done, you begin the liturgy of the Eucharist. So it appears that this kiss of peace was kind of the seal on the prayer of the liturgy of the word that had concluded with the uh, universal prayer, right? So it's this mutual uh, love before uh, offering the sacrifice. And this comes from this notion. I think it's in the St. Matthew where it says, if you discover you have some grievous against your brother, then go reconcile with him before you bring your sacrifice to the altar. Okay. Now you're smart and I'm not. So I'm just going to insert a moment here. St. Augustine talks about the kiss of peace in one of his sermons. And he mentions that it's, a kiss on the mouth, not mm-hmm. mouth to cheek. Can you imagine? They had men in one place and women in another place. So they were uh, pretty, uh, what would you say, intimate with each other <laughs> in yeah. a way that maybe it's just culturally accepted at that time that it isn't now. But also to say, hey, we are one body in Christ that we have a mouth to mouth mouth to mouth resuscitation right here in the middle of mass yeah you know on uh um, we've talked about this little play on words or etymology before is that uh, adoration adoratio is this mouth to mouth Mm -hmm. and you think about the three kisses that occur in the mass is there's a kissing of the altar altar Uh, altar. yeah you is the book of gospels kissed Yep. And then this third one is uh, one's neighbor. Yeah. And you think of all this, we, we, we've talked in the past about the Munera Christi, Christ's three offices of his priest, prophet, and king. Right. And the altar is represented by the, uh, uh, is kind of a representation of the priestly Munus and the book of the gospel as the uh, prophetic Munus and one's neighbor as the kingly Munus. So Christ is present kind of in each of those, in your neighbor, in the altar, and in the ambo. And so this is all this kind of mouth-to-mouth coming with with God, which is what adoration is. So anyway. don't use the old two-finger peace sign from the 60s, people. Come on. Fuck <laughs> her up and give the kiss. <laughs> all the same, I don't think I'm sitting next to you next time I'm a man. <laughs> you never do anyway. You always go sit like in the other aisle. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but in any case, yeah, St. Saint- Augustine, though, uh, it says in this uh, USCCB handout. So he too is uh, North African. And what is he? Di- he dies in about 430. In uh, the North African tradition, it seems to be uh, placed uh, after the Eucharistic prayer, right? So in two Western traditions, you see two different places one at the end of the Liturgy of the Word, one right after the Eucharistic prayer. Before too long, this is what kind of took place in uh in in rome as well coming after the eucharistic prayer but it still had this sort of uh like tertullian pull it put it kind of this ascent this seal um of what has just taken place in the eucharist so it's kind of what the what the bishop's committee suggests it's kind of an extension of the great amen this kind of this is the kiss on what we have just celebrated in the liturgy of the eucharist mm-hmm Good so far? Yeah. So what's the problem? 
Well, yeah, what's the problem? Hang on, hang on. We're, we're not to the problems. Well, okay. we are sort of to the problem. So what what happens though is in um, you know, you, I guess you can determine whether you think this is problematic or not. But as uh, liturgical practice uh, um, continues, uh, what they say is what happens in the the Middle Ages, and I think this is kind of clever, is that uh, the what would happen is the priest would kiss either the altar or in fact, even kiss the host or the chalice. So receiving the peace from the risen Christ and that he would give that peace to uh, a concelebrant or an, an assistant. And then they in turn would extend that peace to those in the congregation. Oh, the old right? game so, of pass the peace. I've played that. Pass the yeah. Peace. yeah. And in fact, eventually what developed was this thing called a pox board or a yeah. peace board. What's, yep. what's a peace board Dennis. it's like this uh, liturgical wooden thing that you would kiss and then you'd walk down <laughs> with it as like the carrier of the kiss right to the next person yeah so you you would the, the priest would kiss it and then it would go through the church and you know the peace would the, the people would receive this uh, peace as well see but i gotta this, say that sounds pretty weird well it might and in fact that it might sound weird because Apparently, um, what they think happened is that people ended up not seeing this as the peace of the risen Christ to be contemplated in the Eucharist upon the altar, but as almost like the veneration of a relic or something like that, mm. which is not what it meant. See, in this, you know, we have our own problems with the exchange of peace now. This was a problem, too, is, is the ritual expression didn't wasn't connecting people to the spiritual reality that was in it. Yeah. They'll say also, too, that it came to be seen and, you know, liturgical historians debate this uh, ad nauseum you know, about how frequently people were receiving communion or not receiving communion. But uh, it's in some periods in the church's history, the reception of the of Holy Communion by the people was was rather rare. And so as a substitute for something coming from the altar it was seen as this pox board, this piece coming from uh, from from the altar. Right. And so it started to become a confusing and misunderstood type of thing. And so by the time we get to the I mean, it was in the uh, it's in the Tridentine uh, Missal. Apparently this formula too, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, peace, I leave you my peace. I give you this goes back to Frankish territory in the 11th or 12th century. Right. So everybody knows his uh, history of the liturgical books. They kind of go from Rome and they spend some time in. Uh, Gallican and uh, um, Germanic territories before they make their way back to Rome and they, they accrue some of that uh, that mind, that culture that is uh, north of Rome. And this is how it kind of finds its way back. But it's it existed still in the Tridentine Missal. And as we said at the beginning, um, it seems like it wasn't a part of the extraordinary form, but in fact it was. Mm -hmm. But if the if the it was the low model that was constantly being celebrated, then at least the popular <laughs> thinking was that it was never in the extraordinary form. Right, because it was only in the high mass, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's that's at least what the notes say. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but I guess you know, trying to put a, a finer point on this is what do we make out of the history? Well, I guess you can say this is that it's biblical in nature. Coming, coming from Christ, coming from the early church. It existed early on in Rome and in North Africa. It found different places, whether it was um, before the liturgy of the Eucharist or after. See, and this is the point that the, the circular letter is trying to make. The gist of the sign of peace in our tradition is not reconcile with your brother before you bring your gift to the altar. 
that's not a false notion, but it's just not the one that's prevailed down through the centuries in the West, even if it may have in the East. Rather, our notion of the, the sign of peace is receiving the peace, the, the shalom, as you were describing it, uh, Dennis, this peace of the Paschal Christ that reconciles us internally and with our brothers and sisters in the mystical body of Christ. So it's a little bit of a different uh, notion. And that, you know, maybe in the end is why they decided, you know, Pope Benedict and the bishops, no, we're not going to move it because that's, that's not part of our tradition. You know, there's a really good entry on the Kiss of Peace in the, the old uh, Catholic encyclopedia. And it mentions that it became unwieldy pretty fast. You know, you've got men not wanting to, their wives to give kiss of peace to other men and then the greeks got rid of it and the romans got rid of it like it it was kind of a good idea and then it shrank because of impractical realities right and so then when it comes back after the liturgical movement in the 20th century sort of like oh let's recreate this thing but we kind of see the impractical issues rising again in some ways don't you think yeah well you know and that's what that's what this circular letter was meant to address. And really, that's what we're trying to address, too, in this podcast is that, you know, during this time, while uh, there is, there's no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, that uh, when we get back to doing it, we'll know we'll know a little bit more what it means. And it's not um, chaos. Or I don't remember the word you used just now, but, it, you know, it's some of the, some of the misunderstandings that that took place. So, you know, what um, what some of the misunderstandings that the circular letter and Pope Benedict uh, and Sacramentum Caritatis wanted to address, I mean, you could probably guess for yourself, is that, right, this, if this is supposed to be a passing on of the peace of the Paschal Christ now present before us on the altar in the Blessed Sacrament, uh, if that's what it's meant to be, sometimes externally it's it's kind of chaos i'm getting excited chris are you going to talk about paragraph six letter c this is like the best paragraph in this this whole document circular letter from the congregation for divine worship and discipline of the sacraments it should be made which one it's six c avoid these abuses and then there's a list every pastor in the world who wants to know what should you not do at the sign of peace yeah. Paragraph six, well, letter C. Well, I'll let you go through that list. But first and more generally, you know, what they're trying to say is, you know, it, it's sometimes it's too exaggerated. It's distracting. It needs to be marked by a greater sobriety. It needs to have a greater restraint. If we want the ritual exchange of peace to actually say what the church wants it to say, then it has to have these characters. And but have the spiritual often, effect that the church wanted to have. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but too often it doesn't. So, for example, what are some of the things to uh, to avoid? It's 6C. Oh, are you allowing me to say this just because I'm yeah, so okay. No, okay. No song of peace? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you can say so too, Jesse. If you're excited about removal of abuses, it's like getting thorns out of your I'm toes. obviously gonna... excited about that. So no song for peace. Which is non-existent in the Roman Rite. Bam! Have you? Let me ask though. When I read this, I, I don't ever remember hearing some sort of song of peace. Have you? Have you encountered peace that? Peace I leave to you, my friends, my friends. Peace is flowing like a river. I love you till the end. Yeah, there would be like sorry, a big, big long song. Yeah. Okay. No sign of peace. No song of peace at the sign. Song of peace. Song yeah. of peace. Right. No <laughs> moving from your place. Hmm. I see that a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, there's less of that than there used to be, but you sometimes see the priest come out of the sanctuary and shake someone's hands or take a long time going all the way down the center aisle or people finding their friends at the other end of the church. And, uh, what, about, doing that. what about weddings, Chris? It's, it's kind of a, 
tradition to make sure that you offer a kiss of peace to the in-laws and, you know, that type of thing? Well, you know, I know at least generally um, the, the universal general instruction of the Roman Missal says the priest shouldn't leave the sanctuary, but a U.S. adaptation permits him to do so, say, on funerals or something like that. Duh. So I wonder if there's something similar that might be, I don't know, maybe <laughs> extended there. I thought you were going to ask this, Jesse. Yeah. Is how do you exchange the sign of peace with your wife? Uh, are you asking how I literally do it? During mass, yeah. Oh man, uh, this Should might you be, be kissing, hugging, shaking hands. I give my wife a kiss. I don't know if that's wrong or not. When uh-huh. I'm next to Jesse's wife, I grab her and do one of those World War II is over yeah. Times Square, where's, lean her back, and kiss her. Yeah, yeah. You talk about peace out. No way, man. <laughs> that's a good question. That's an interesting question. It's not prescribed, right? The answer is not prescribed universally. Well, no, because... no, there is a prescription about how you're supposed to exchange the sign of peace. Really? But, but, yeah. Can we, before okay. we get to that, though, and as we Let's start get rid to wrap of this some up, of these that can't do things. So the priest yeah, shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't the leave the altar, should not leave the altar or the sanctuary, I guess. Except uh, in the U.S. during funerals. Okay. They have that permission. And then uh, what does it say there? Also in C, in certain circumstances, such as Easter and other important things like matrimony, communion, whatever, uh, the exchange of peace being the occasion for expressing congratulations. So it's hard to read what it's saying there, but it's saying it should not be a sign for offering congratulations, right? Is that how you read it, Chris? Well, I do. And I think uh, maybe by extension, let's uh, picture you're at an ordination. There's a ritual offering of peace, say, from the presbyterate to the newly ordained priests. And it's supposed to be sort of this uh, stylized, ritualized, formalized uh, exchange of peace. It's not quite the same thing what they're talking about here. But too often, you know, it becomes back slapping and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, see at the reception and stuff. But so, you know, we have a lot of good biblical images about coals, you know, that go on people's lips and they cleanse their lips or Moses' face, you know, glowing, looking at the face of God. Mm-hmm. I think the sign of peace could be seen that way. Sort of like, I've received the kiss of peace from Christ and I'm going to hand it on to you and you're going to hand it on to the next. And um, that's a really important thing, you know, and we kind of treat it so casually. Yeah. Well, let, 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 let's let's wrap this up by saying what the church actually does say rubrically. See, what the rubrics are trying to do is guide these ritual expressions so that they manifest what they are supposed to manifest and not something else. Okay. So the, the first thing, and probably by now everybody's familiar with this, is the actual let us offer each other the sign of peace is optional. Right. Or it's uh, maybe optional is in the word. What does it say? It may be offered if appropriate. Yeah, yeah, if appropriate, right? And so why would it not? I I think this came up in uh, one of our other podcasts. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you're looking at that paragraph uh, 6A, Dennis, at the bottom. That's where it says that. But look at the line right above it. If uh, if it is foreseen that the sign of peace will not take properly due to specific circumstances, or if it is not considered pedagogically wise to carry it out on certain occasions – it can be emitted and sometimes ought to be emitted. Mm-hmm. Like, like during a pandemic. Like during a pandemic, yeah. right? And so uh, a month ago or whenever this was, that was what uh, you know bishops were telling their priests is you emit the sign of peace. So you, the priest says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. The people respond and with your spirit. And the next words are Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. Right? So the exchange is omitted. But if the exchange of peace is actually going to take place. Did you know, I mean, you guys know because you're smart liturgy guys, 
that there's actually a formula that can be used uh, according to the general instruction of the Roman Missal that tells you I how to do it. I did not know, and therefore I'm not a smart liturgy guy. Yeah. You tell us. I Trey. knew. This is why it. you tell everybody else? This is it. At uh, number 154 in the germ, it says, while the sign of peace is being given, it is permissible to say, quote, the peace of the Lord be with you always, quote, end quote, to which the reply is, amen. That's what people in the pews say to one another. That's right. Yeah, that's at number 154 in the germ. So imagine how this would happen is the priest would say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And we'd sing and with your your spirit. spirit. And then the deacon would sing, let us offer each other the sign of peace. And then you would turn to your neighbor and say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And he would say back to you, amen. And then I suppose he would say to you, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And you would say, amen. Or maybe you just let one dialogue be uh, enough. Hmm. In any case, um, trying to instill this with my family. At least once upon a time I did. We've kind of given it up. But you see uh, uh, how this would change the tenor of the exchange of peace. It's, it's, it's more sober, restrained formalized, ritualized. And these are all the characteristics of the Roman rite. <laughs> so if you go to, uh, you know, uh, other praise and worship type of thing, you can hug and things like that. But yeah. this at least is how the, the, the missile envisions it. So, and it's not prescribing know, a handshake or anything in particular either, right? Uh, no, actually, if I, I don't have the fuller paragraph, I think it will say the bishops might prescribe an exchange uh, suitable to the local conditions, um, but it's permissible to say the peace of the Lord be with you always. So I think they'll leave it to local Episcopal, um, you know, decision-making, but they do offer, in fact, a, uh, a formula for the exchange of peace, even for the people in the nave. <laughs> but again, I think, you know, as uh, the idea here is that at bottom, the exchange of the sign of peace is the, as it said, it's rooted in the contemplation of the Paschal Christ who is now before us on the altar. That's what uh, that's what this is about. And why does and it so seem so funny? It's like, oh, Christ has just been confected in the Eucharist. And by the way, everybody turn your back on him and talk to each other for a minute. See, you're not turning your back on him, though. He's bestowing your peace and you are sharing and receiving that peace through, you know, other it's like you have the mystical body of Christ on the altar and you have the mystical body of Christ to your left and to your right. Mm. I suppose. So it's so flowing what, from the altar in a sense of the Christ who's just been made present. I think that's exactly it. That's Woo-hoo. exactly it. All right. right so the three of us go out to a bar or something like that. Well, you know, <laughs> someday that's one thing. The three of us are together united in the presence of the mystical body uh, uh, of the Eucharistic Christ. You know, the, the, the behaviors between us is different from that in the bar. Hopefully. <laughs> and what you Chris, what you're saying essentially, this is all just kind of chalks up to active participation and the corporate worship. Well, and I might say, you know, uh, uh, that other term is used authentic participation because mm-hmm. uh, high fiving and, uh, you know, back slapping and, you know, peace outing and things like that. That's some sort of doing, but it's not authentic. It's not um, ent- it's not leading you and others around you into the mystery. Rather, it's sort of. 
detracting and uh, uh, distracting you from the mystery. So it's you're participating in something, but not in the thing, the res sacramenti, which is the risen Christ. Yeah, the imagine if a bride and groom did that. So it's like you may you know give you may not kiss the bride, and then they're like giving peace signs and backslapping each other and stuff. You're like, wait, this is like the sacred moment of your union, and you're not taking it seriously. So isn't there some other place you're the document man, Chris, where? Is it Pope Benedict who said that there should be sober and only the people next to you or something? Do you remember what I'm talking about there? Is that this uh, document or is that Sacrament of Caritatis? No, let's see. That I remember there's something where it specifically said it should be just the people. I think you. it's right in the germ, Dennis. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah that's my guess. All right. So, anyway, peace out. Well, I just want to say that this whole episode is basically the answer to a liturgy question from Patrick, yes. who, Dennis, is, is the a friend, friend of my niece, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, he is like a liturgy guy's fanboy. And uh, my niece put us together and I said, tell send, send in a, a question. We'll answer it for you. So, hey, Patrick. Patrick, this is something we've been wanting to talk about for a while. So consider this the answer to your question. And uh, I think we should get, go answer another liturgy question, no, right, guys? I think we should get a, a free pass. Uh, no. <laughs> actually, what does this question actually say, Jesse? Is this just uh, how to sign a peace work? No, I'll, I'll read the, through the whole thing. Um, it's fairly short. First of all, he says, thanks for the podcast. I started listening a few months ago. I love how you work highlights or I, I love how your work highlights the documents of Vatican II. A few of my friends, quote unquote, complain about it a lot. But you have shown me that those complaints really stem from the implementation of the council and not the council itself. Uh, I, really so appreciate, I really appreciate your work in the field of liturgy. Well, you're welcome. It's the most we could do. And then he says, my question is about the sign of peace. To me, it feels almost out of context in the communion, right? We have just witnessed the consecration, the climax of the mass and said the Our Father, now my attention is pulled away from the altar and Christ present in the Eucharist to the people around me. And then I feel as if I have to refocus myself back on the altar for the Lamb of God and then reception of the Holy Communion. I guess I always felt the sign of peace placement in the Mass was a little awkward. What is the significance of the sign of peace? Why is the sign of peace where it is in the Mass? Was there a pre-Vatican II Mass? Or sorry, was it there in the pre-Vatican II Mass? Wow. I feel like we answered we all of that. All these questions. So those are very good questions, Patrick. And if people start celebrating the rite of peace in a dignified and sober way, I think people find it less distracting. I got to say that pox board thing, I thought, oh, that was really weird. But as you, Chris, were describing this idea of, you know, the source of the peace was Christ. And then that was supposed to be sent onward. I feel like that visual sign is a much clearer sign that this is coming from Christ than just the priest saying, may the, the peace of Christ be with you always. Um, because you can kind of see that coming from the, you know, the pontifex, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so those hey, are my two thoughts. Let, let me just read one other thing. So this is from the germ at number 82. So we've looked at number 154 and here's number 82 where it describes the right of peace. There follows the right of peace by which the church entreats peace and unity for herself and the whole human family and the faithful express to each other their ecclesial communion and mutual charity before communicating in the sacrament. As for the actual sign of peace to be given, the manners to be established by the conferences of bishops in accordance with the culture and customs of the people. However, 
It is appropriate that each person in a sober manner offer the sign of peace only to those who are nearest. Okay. So anyway, follow the rites and they will do what the church wants them to do. Mess up the rites and all of a sudden <laughs> that's why people are confused and disturbed and the rest. So just try it. See what happens. Okay. So when this sign of peace comes back, do it well, folks. Do it right. Yeah. Do it well. Do it right. That's that's the moral of the story there. All right. Let's answer a liturgy question. Chris, you're not off the hook. Or or you're on the hook to answer a liturgy question. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, we have a question this week from Krista. Oh, I wanted a Rudiger. We haven't had a Rudiger in a long time. Uh, well, I, I guess Kunagunda. Yes, Krista. this is Kunagunda. Uh, she says, uh, "Hi." Okay. Hi, so, Krista. Hi, Kunagunda. <laughs> we just began singing the proper entrance and communion antiphons at our little parish in Southern yes. Maryland. Yes, awesome. good for you. Where I am the music coordinator. That's awesome. Kudos mm-hmm. to you. She says, we choose IPL's word in Eucharist, which unfortunately does not include the psalm verses with the antiphons. When I reference other publishers, mainly Lumen Christi and Pew Missal, they differ as to which psalm is sung with the antiphon. For example, the third Sunday in Lent, Pew Missal uses Psalm 63 as verses for the communion antiphon, but Lumen Christi uses Isaiah 12 for the exact same antiphon. How do they choose these? And if I reference the Graduale Romanum, if my Latin is correct, which I haven't taken, they use Psalm 24 for both and uh, the antiphon and verses. We just use, we just want to use the proper psalm, but can't find anything online to help us choose it. Thank you for any guidance you can offer. Krista. Hmm. Go ahead, Dennis. <laughs> That's the best noise ever. I'm going to make that my text tone from whenever you text me. <laughs> I'm going to call that the liturgical growl. <laughs> Wait, Dennis, where, are you still there? Yeah, where did Dennis go? Sorry, I turned. I had my mic turned <laughs> off just to bless you with blessed silence. You're probably working <laughs> down wheat thins again. Wheat thins again? No, no, no. I, I leaned over. My, my chair is a little creaky. You can hear it, hear that. Mm. So I turned it off so that when I moved, I wouldn't creak at you. But now All I right. creak at you. Crystal anyway, wants an answer to this. Okay. Back to the entrance chant. Okay. So the general instruction talks about the entrance chant in a few places. Um, and it doesn't say too much about the Psalms. It just assumes that you know how to do it. I would say, though, that the normative thing is that the entrance antiphons, the, the proper kind of uh, normative text is the graduale Romanum. So, in fact, if you go to the general instruction number 48, it says the antiphon from the Missal or the antiphon with its psalm from the graduale Romanum. 
is set to music there. And so normally the Gradual Romanum is this collection of the proper text set to very usually complex chant in Latin. And that's kind of the normative book that the liturgical movement scholars of the 19th and 20th century, mostly at Salem, tried to assemble. Here is the church's own liturgical book, Entrance Antiphon, Psalm Verses, Communion Antiphon, Psalm Verses, and back then they had Offertory Antiphon and Psalm Verses as well. So that's where I would go to try to link them. Why they're different in other places, I do not know. Any thoughts, Chris? Well, it could be that, you know, when you when you look in the, the germ about options for the entrance or even the offertory or communion, it gives you this whole list. One is the antiphon from the Missal and the antiphon and the Psalm from the Graduale Romanum. But then it'll talk about what the antiphon and the Psalm from the Graduale Simplex or Simple mm-hmm. Gradual. And I think the th- and third option is another collection of antiphons and Psalms. And so, these are these are legitimate options. So maybe what one of the publishers is using is the antiphon and a psalm from, say, option two, gradually simplex, or from option three, uh, just another collection. So, uh, but I agree with you, Dennis. I suppose the the normative thing to do would be to consult the the Roman gradual first, and I suspect that's what at least one of these is uh, is doing. Right. And, you know, the Graduale Simplex, which is the post-Vatican II version of the Gradual, the proper text in Latin, but simpler music, uh, allows for things like seasonal antiphons, for instance. And so there might be some leeway that's a little bit more uh, flexible if you're using that as your as your model, right? Yeah, no, no, hang on. It's, it's not the post-Vatican II version of the Graduale Romanum, though. It's, it's a different book. Yeah, it's the post-Vatican II Gradual, right? But it's... Yeah, it, it's not the, the post-Vatican II version of the pre-Vatican II Graduale, though. Right, it's but a it, whole new Graduale, yes. Sorry right, if I right, got it. Okay. But it gives, it's shorter, it's simpler, and it gives more options for smaller mm-hmm. churches that can do, can't learn a new end of every week. And so yeah. it allows a greater flexibility of psalms. So if I were Kunugunda here, I would say, get yourself a Graduale Romanum, get yourself a Graduale Simplex, and see which, which one each one uses for the uh, particular interesting to find you're talking about and maybe that'll answer your question yeah. uh, that's how i would investigate that topic and would she be able to just apply different modes to those psalms then if she still wanted to use the ipl as a reference for the actual antiphon text well the modes are said in the graduale romanum i know adam bartlett and lumen christie said he tried to imitate the graduale romanum whenever he could and he would pick that mode that as the normative one i don't know if that's actually illegal to change the mode, but usually the mode is corresponding to the text and the meaning of the text. So it kind of makes sense to let the mode uh, correspond to the nature of the text. So that's how I would uh, encourage it to stay close to what the, the wisdom of the church through the centuries has established. Okay, Chris Gunda, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> and if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Tweet us at liturgyguys. You can tweet Dennis at DMAC Super Taster tastes more or than you do. Or you could yell your question really loud into a Bible, and then whenever Chris opens his Bible, he'll hear it. So uh, thank you, and God bless. Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoramus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College.